All right, good afternoon, everyone. This is from the War Room to the Boardroom. I'm your podcast host, as always, Mayshawn Wilson, Global Strategy Operations at Google, Combat Veteran of Duke MBA in West Point. And today we have my guest, Mr. Elijah Talley. You know, I'll be talking about his transition into civilian life, business school, and then real estate development. For those that don't know, Elijah is a part of the Athenius Capital team who works as an associate portfolio manager. He's an avid real estate investor and executive director for The Connection. He also served as an ADA officer, West Point outreach officer, and he's a graduate of both West Point and soon to be UC Berkeley High School of Business. And so Elijah, let me turn it over to you for our guests who don't know about you. Like, tell them a little more. Yeah. So first, thank you so much for having me on the show. Been uh, watching your last couple of episodes, and I think you got a really good program. I appreciate the uh, offer to be invited and speak. So as Mayshawn alluded to, this would be the more or less third significant career change thus far. You know, I had a lot of fun in the Army as an air defense artillery officer. Big career switch as I moved into diversity outreach and missions back at West Point. And now, you know, the, the brand new horizon as I step fully and immerse myself into the commercial real estate space as a portfolio manager at Athenius Capital. So anybody has any real estate questions? No, I'm always available. <laughs> Love to see it. So for our listeners who don't know about you, kind of tell them where you're coming from. How did you get to the military? Where were you born and raised? Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fun fact, I was actually born in Panama City, Panama. Back in the 90s, uh, my father were and mother was stationed in, um, at that base. And, you know, it's, I, I'd love to tell you that I have, you know, memories and stories and I tell you a lot about the food, but I was a baby and then we moved, uh, relocated back to the U.S. proper. But I'll be honest, I wasn't one of the, one of the West Pointers who, you know, from a very young age is like, oh my gosh, army, army, army. I really didn't have an idea to join the army until about my junior year in high school. And it really came out of the necessity to get college paid for. <laughs> Quite frankly, <laughs> it was as, it was as simple as that. I was looking for a great program. I was exploring scholarships, and then my father was a uh, he was active duty at the time, but a, um, active duty E seven stationed at Fort Sam. And he said, "Hey, I don't know much about West Point, but I encourage you to check it out." And you know, I got on the Google machine, and next thing I found out, like it's it's going to solve my problem. It's a great school. They've got fully funded education. <laughs> and oh, by the way, I'd get a paycheck in healthcare while I'm in school. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was kind of the genesis. But once I got into the academy, I really did start to internalize the duty, the honor, the country. And I can't say that I had a fun time <laughs> because it was sure was a lot of work, but I can definitely say that it was worthwhile. And, you know, every day and every opportunity that I get nowadays in my new civilian life, I'm reaping the benefits of, of you know, those experiences as a cadet. No, absolutely. It's a one-of-a-kind experience. You put in a lot of work, make some great friendships, but not a, it's not going Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the biggest party I had as a plea was a pizza party from Shades. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I think that's you know majority of folks' experience, but some companies' day room. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that your father, active duty E seven in the army, kind of helps you guide you along that path, and then your mother, she was also in, or she was just stationed there with your father. No, 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 they were they were there together, but she wasn't also in; she was a civilian as well. Okay. And then any siblings as well, or like just you, only you in the military? How did that work out? Yeah. So we, I, I, 
I guess we do come from a military family. It's kind of like therapy. But <laughs> but yeah, so my, my father was enlisted. I do believe I'm the first officer, at least in my immediate family. Definitely the first West Pointer in, in our entire family writ large. But my brother and sister-in-law were also in the Army. They served and you know, enlisted in S-1 capacities. And you know, my brother, after a couple of years, just decided that it was no longer for him. He took a shot in the dark and opened up a food truck. And he's got one of the most successful food truck businesses in San Antonio. He's been featured on the news twice. And that man is a funnel cake fanatic. That's actually the name of his company. <laughs> they sell gourmet funnel cakes. So everybody has gotten some kind of flavor of military, mostly through my, my father's influence. And we've got some other folks on my mom's side of the family who were in the military quite some time ago. And it was, I'd, I'd bargain to say it was much more difficult <laughs> back then to do army things than it is today. And so with that family legacy, I guess what prompted that decision to transition out into business school or come away from the line altogether? Yeah. Wow. So by nature of air defense, I mean, the, the, the branch is deployed, you know, almost 50% of your time. I had soldiers who were in the army 12 years and deployed for six. Um, and I'll tell you, when I, when I signed, when I, you know, signed up to, to go for air defense, it seemed like a really fun time to be able to travel the world and, and do all those things. And I also thought I was going to be single and so I was like mid thirties. So I was, I was much more up for that, but yeah, life, my, my life just changed. I got into a serious relationship now married and being away from my wife and, you know, wanting to start a family and a lot of these other things that we wanted to accomplish as a couple, it just didn't seem feasible long-term to do in the army. We just didn't see that path for us and it can be done. It just didn't seem like it was an option for us. So that's what kind of prompted, you know, Hey, I'm a, I think I want to do something else but I'm not actually sure what that something else is because as West Pointers and, and service academies, service academy grads, we often get pursued by headhunter organizations. So, you know, for a little while, I don't, I don't know if I can say the name, but just tell us headhunter and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so for a little while I was uh, in cahoots with one of the headhunter companies and, you know, they were working with me to find, to get me placed. But I would tell you that experience, it wasn't fulfilling. You know, I, I think, if you if you are a soldier or if you are in you know a service academy guy an officer who just really is not happy with your quality of life in the army that may be a good option to go to a headhunter but that fulfillment piece it, it almost felt like i was moving from one job to another job and i wasn't truly connected to the work and that's when this other layer of discovery kind of started so i had a conversation with a uh uh West Point graduate who was in the diversity admissions office at the same time I was there, Jeffrey Easterling. And he's he went on to Haas and became the Haas class president. But essentially, he set me down at McDonald's right in front of Thayer Gate and explained to me why going with a headhunter option was a bad idea and why the MBA option, based on the goals that I told him, would most likely be a much better idea and give me a lot more clarity for that career discovery. And so as you were looking for that career discovery, you wanted a bit, a bit more like work-life flexibility, looking to kind of pursue that passion. And so like, what were some of those nuggets and like, how did you, what tools did you use to explore those? Cause like trying to figure out what you want to do is like a buffet. Yeah. Like, there's so many options. <laughs> you can pick anything. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and to your point, it's almost overwhelming because I remember as, as a young Lieutenant, just being so immersed you know, in, in my army life and the next mission, the next FTX, the next deployment, 
And I never really stopped to think like, okay, what does Elijah actually want to do? Because I think that was one of the first questions that Jeff asked me. And I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I said, I only, I only really know how to do one thing. So being in the army for me sometimes felt like a black box and I didn't know what my options were outside of what was being presented to me through these headhunter opportunities. So now to answer your question, <laughs> some nuggets that I thought about was what would my sweet life look like? What would my ideal life look like? Not necessarily in that moment sitting at the McDonald's, but you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, am I going to have a job where I I'm home at a reasonable time. Am I going to have a job where I have to take calls and stuff on the weekends? These are all things that I didn't necessarily want to do because I did it so much, you know, as a lieutenant, as a young captain. So that was very important to me, you know, having the option to have dinner at home every night was, was, was something that I held in high value and esteem. And also, I really wanted to be connected with my work. I really wanted to do something that didn't feel like another job and I wanted to do something that felt like I was actually making a difference in communities. And that's really how I landed on real estate. Speaking of real estate, can you explain for listeners what exactly is it that you do? Like <laughs> finance capital, like all oh, that sounds like an amazing title. Like this guy be PE is investor banker. What what does he do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I connected the dots while I was still active duty in the army, like most veterans do. I you leveraged the VA loan and, and bought my first house. And then I got the bug immediately. Almost, you know, the next day after we left the closing table for that house, I was on the hunt for house number two. <laughs> so when I got stationed back at West Point to do the diversity admissions gig, you know, I did it my first flip. So my wife and I did a full gut and renovation, found the, the the crappiest looking condo in the nicest community. And then I was really hooked. <laughs> then I was really hooked once we left the closing table there. So in my personal life, I was already making real estate investments, not necessarily sophisticated real estate investments, but just buying homes, you know, trying to play play around and, and learn how to be a landlord. It was really kind of giving me energy. You know, I found myself spending less time on Facebook and Instagram and more time on Zillow, like, you know, looking, looking for different deals. So that's what led me, you know, to, to just to explore commercial real estate at UC Berkeley and now headed to Phineas Capital. So commercial real estate at Phineas Capital, they, we essentially have a fund, you know, where we buy and sell large commercial real estate assets. It'd be, you know, towers in your city centers, office buildings, industrial assets, you know, think these major logistics companies that need warehouses will build them and, you know, things of that nature. But my specific or intersection as a portfolio manager, essentially, to be the associate that helps make these decisions. What do we buy? What do we renovate? What do we sell? When do we sell it? How do we sell it? Et cetera. So pretty much you're you're the we'll say you're the XO kind of helping make sure yeah, everything kind of flows yeah, together. Yeah, everybody reports to somebody. I'm not the the key decision maker, but I do have a bit of influence on um, you know how some of those decisions will be made. Oh, okay. So that's what you do. What did it take for you to to actually to get there, right? Because if you have this background as a as a real estate investor, you know, done property management, done flipping. Why, I guess, the NBA, why, why was that needed for you to jump into this role? That's such a good question. So I, I found out during the NBA that I probably didn't even need an NBA 
to do the role that I'm about to go do. However, it would have taken much longer and it would have been a bit more harder or it would have been a bit more hard. And the reason I say that is there are a lot of folks, executives, senior level executives in commercial real estate that have undergraduate degrees. And they came right out of their undergrad program, started as an analyst and worked their way up to managing director. So the reason that I chose to come and get an MBA is because my undergrad experience, I didn't study finance, I didn't study accounting, I didn't study you know real estate financial modeling like some of these other guys. And quite frankly, Although I bring a lot of soft skills to the table, you know, leadership, got a little bit of experience, you know, dealing with conflict, all these other issues, a lot of these young analysts, I mean, they're they've been working in Excel for years. You know, so that experience, you can't just trade. You know, you can't hire me necessarily for my soft skills without having none of, you know, any of the technical skills. So a, a large part of the MBA was learning the vernacular anybody in commercial real estate to tell you that is just as jargon heavy as the army is <laughs> being able to understand the overarching concepts in commercial real estate what does it mean to have positive net migration what does that mean for your deal what does that mean for where your deal is located what how do interest rates affect your cash flow like these these mechanical technical things um, were extremely helpful to learn you know during this this program and um, lastly, I took advantage of case competitions. So folks in real, um, MBA programs have the opportunity to participate in competitive case series, case studies. And essentially, I competed in a real estate case competition at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, arguably one of the best schools for you know commercial real estate. And happy to say, Berkeley took home first place. <laughs> but they were happy about yeah, that. happy to say we took home first place. So that was my first year. And then I spent a summer at East Hill Secure serving as a summer analyst. So I got some real world experience being able to work on some of their deals. And then this past year, I did a competition at UT Austin. They do a uh, national real estate challenge and they invite, you know, top MBA programs. And happy to say that we took home second in that competition, too. So there's a lot of mechanisms in place, you know, embedded in the MBA program. You get to a good real estate MBA program that will help you, you know, give you years of experience in a very short amount of time to get you up to speed, ready and competent to take on these senior level roles. So if I, if I dial that back, so going for the buffet where there's so many options, what you're able to do is kind of leverage mentors. And then from there, once you have an idea of where you're going, build those technical skills, get that knowledge base and potentially gain a network in the process. Absolutely. And the and the I would say, you know, for everybody asking the the network, if you get into a top program, that's worth just as much as the tuition, quite frankly. Through the the Berkeley Haas network, I've met so many influential people in commercial real estate, presidents, CEOs, and some of these folks through Berkeley events, I've been able to meet them on multiple occasions to the point where now we've had lunch, we're grabbing coffee chats, we're talking about deals, you know, and these are people, quite frankly, if I went the undergrad route, I, I would have had the opportunity to be in front of them, you know, probably until 10, 10 years after, you know, that experience. So. I would say that the, the resources, the network and the support system, you know, at least in this MBA program, speaking from experience, it's invaluable.
it's invaluable, especially in a business that is so socially, I mean, real estate is so social. You know, a lot of these deals get texted to you, they get emailed to you, some of them don't hit the market. And if you don't have a, a strong network and contacts, you're gonna miss out. Oh, great points. And so along those lines, right, you know, you have many veterans that, you know, hey, I got my MBA or my master's from, you name the school that the Army Education or your respective post-education center. Why does this add so much more value compared to, say, getting that school? I'm not going to name any of the schools, but we know the schools I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure they're great programs. I would say that there are some things that you cannot replicate in a top 10 program that are very different from some of your online programs and some other things that I'm talking about the full-time in-person top 10 experience is quite frankly, second to none. My classmates have started companies. They're on their second company. They're on their third company. I've got buddies who, you know, we casually golf now and, you know, like, Hey, Elijah, I heard you're, you're, you're heavy into real estate. I've got $800,000 cash that I'd love to invest in your area. Let's have a conversation. I had dinner with somebody a couple of weeks ago who was com- just very casually, conversationally, you know, talking about putting together a $20 million real estate deal. <laughs> so I'm not saying that these things don't happen in, you know, your, your traditional post-Army, MBA, Masters, whatever you want to call it. But I think the top 10 MBA experience is truly about who that program attracts and who you're surrounded with and who your network becomes over the two years that you're fully immersed in that program. I mean, swapping ideas, swapping stories, understanding cultural context, and then making money together. <laughs> like these are the same people who are going to be vice presidents, senior executives, CEOs. And they're just my friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not a LinkedIn page to me. It's like, no, that's Steve. Like, you know. So I think that that's definitely, definitely, definitely the bigger value add of going to a, um, a higher ranked program. And so for those veterans who are looking to make that transition, you get a bit deterred by, say, a six-figure price tag or the GMAT GRE studying. You're saying that the value is still there compared to the rest because of the people it attracts and the opportunities it affords. I would say absolutely, absolutely. And you know, most most MBA students to tell you this, but in my experience, the hardest part about the MBA was getting in. Now, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it seem like it's easy. <laughs> it is not. It is not. You know, I'm, I'm. I'm sure my wife has some colorful stories. But while I was studying for the GMAT and GRE, and I recommend you know whoever's listening take both. But while I was studying, I got up at 3 a.m. and I was studying from 3 a.m. to 5:30 to be in time for PT. So it was very long days for about three to four months until I got a score that was decent enough <laughs> where they wouldn't laugh my application out of the building <laughs> it is harder than people think yeah but i would say like if 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 you can do that if you can get past the gmat and gre first year classes i mean there it's a lot of work but it's not difficult and there are so many support systems and resources and study groups and everybody who's kind of rallying around to help you graduate how is that adjustment coming from West Point, which is extra army, army, 
to now adjusting to a civilian institution after you've been at academia for five years or more? Yeah, <laughs> it was a big one. <laughs> it was a big one. And I would just say like the, the, the culture at West Point, Army, the military academy, and the culture at Berkeley, <laughs> in California <laughs> like polar opposite if you will and that's what really intrigued me about Berkeley is just kind of getting into something different and you know understand a different cultural context but the transition was it was significant it was significant but I would say it was significant in a in an awesome way I went from high school straight to West Point I grew up in a military household so it was regimented West Point extremely regimented the army guess what regimented Almost everything was prescribed. And you come to Berkeley and it's like, hey, you know, show up to your classes, do the right thing, graduate. You know, so it was like really for me, I, I think the biggest shock was it was the first time that those, it really felt like the training wheels were off. You know, I didn't really have anybody to report to as long as I did what I was supposed to do. Like everybody left me alone. And it was, it's, it's been a really cool and unique experience to kind of be in the driver's seat for the first time, being able to seek out and, interview the companies that I really want to work for instead of, you know, what we normally do, where can I please go here next? Can I please do this assignment next? It's, it's, it's been empowering and it's been, it's been really a treat to just be in a driver's seat, but that transition was, it was definitely not easy. So looking for more of that agency that we talked about earlier and then the ability to kind of just make your own decision, pick your own journey. But the interesting thing about civilian is that there are so many paths. There's no more DA Pam. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever you want your path to be. It can yeah. be that. More or less. And so along those lines, we talked about transition. How do you transition mindset? Can you tell us about how you transition like both your leadership and interaction style? Because if you go from dealing with soldiers, military officers to civilians that have very different backgrounds and perspectives, how do you manage that in a team dynamic? Work dynamic, some pro tips from your experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think I think everybody in the military will will understand that it's okay to be blunt in the military and not so much on the outside, on the civilian side, which I've learned. However, at the same time, I'd say that my classmates have appreciated transparency. <laughs> and and I can tell you a story. There was a uh, classmate of mine, well, a group project where there was a handful of us working on a paper. And there was one classmate who was just not contributing, not present, not contributing. And it got to the point where it started to frustrate the entire process because this person said they would do something and then we'd wait for them to do something and then they wouldn't do it. And it probably would have been easier if we just rallied and did their part anyway. So in the army, that conversation would go, be a very blunt conversation, right? Here was the expectation. Here was your mark. Why do we have this big debt to? But in the same instance, I volunteered to have that conversation with our classmates, but I allowed somebody else to do it. And I noticed that this person was very agitated, obviously, with a group member who wasn't participating. But at the same time, they were like, hey, you know, I understand that it may be difficult and there's some things going on. You know, we don't really know what's going on with you. But don't worry about it. We're we're still gonna add your name to the paper. Just you know, next time we we really want you to to try a little bit harder to 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 get your stuff done when it was agreed upon. And they were like, "Yeah, we told them." <laughs> <laughs> was just, uh... 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think that was my first realization. Like, oh, OK, feedback is is quite a bit different, you know, in the civilian sector. And it forces you to to really read between the lines. Somebody may feel that they're really reprimanding you or giving you some some adjustment feedback. And it may sound like you're just having a conversation. So I've leveraged mentors who have been in civilian space. You and I have actually talked about this quite a few times, yes, but it's it's still very much a process that I'm learning and picking up on because I'm I'm very used to people telling me, hey, if, if you suck, you suck. And that's just it's not common practice, I would say, on the outside. Yes, it does require a bit more questions and answers and really just the the expectation to understand that the language will look different, even if the sentiment is the same. Yes, yes. And some tips to get around that for the for the folks who are listening, I would just recommend something as simple as regular check-ins, something as simple as getting on your, your boss's calendar, understanding what their army stuff, right? Understand what their priorities are, get ahead of those priorities, and just try to be as proactive and as competent as possible. If you don't know the answer, don't lie. <laughs> just <laughs> try to figure it out. Ask some folks who, who've been doing it a little bit longer than you. But you'll be able to ameliorate a lot of that gray area just by communicating often and having that conversation. Yeah, I agree. And then also doing like, in addition to the, the regular checks, also asking what their interpretation of that expectation means. Because we can both, it's almost like the Constitution of the Bible. We can read it and get two very different interpretations, same document, same text. Yep. And that can happen too, because people, again, communicate differently. Yep. People take feedback differently. It's it becomes a very interesting world outside of you. Be like, I prefer to receive written feedback. <laughs> I prefer to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it comes in all flavors, man. I've 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 seen quite a bit of things just in my Berkeley experience of what that feedback loop looks like. And it, I, some people, I I think the the bottom line is just know your team and know your boss, right? Just understand the the groups of folks that you're working with and understand how they like feedback how they like to give feedback and receive because it's very different some people cannot handle being blunt or or when somebody is being blunt to them you know it's it's destructive and then you know it tears away at the group cohesion and all these other things and some people don't understand the flowery language right if you're not being blunt then you know hey it sounds like i did a good job so i'm gonna just keep doing what i'm doing you know so it's really kind of finding that balance, finding the happy medium, but truly understanding the folks that you're interacting with really kind of give you a better idea of how to navigate that space. Yeah. And do you feel like you're still in the process of navigating it? Or do you feel like you've gotten to like a better level here at business school versus jumping straight in? I'm still discovering what, what you know, my leadership style is going to be on the outside. Obviously, a lot of elements from past experiences have worked pretty well, the Army experiences. But I understand that that's going to have to morph, you know, into some form of army and, and civilian leadership and feedback. However, my experience thus far at Berkeley will be different than my experience in the real estate industry. The real estate industry tends to lean a little bit more conservative than the institution does. And that industry comes with different norms, different cultures, different attitudes, et cetera. So I believe that, you know, in the real estate industry, there is an appetite to be a bit more blunt because it will be fast. It's about dollars and cents. But at the end of the day, you're not you're not getting chewed out like you were in the army. You know what I mean? So those those days are probably gone. But 
I've got some good, a good group of folks that I'm going to and great leadership. So there's a um, high probability that I'm going to figure that out pretty fast. Good point. So I think what I pulled out of that in terms of as you navigate new cultures, new situations, ensuring that you clarify those assumptions and expectations, because once you step out of that uniform, those expectations may not exist. And if you don't clarify and communicate those, you're setting yourself up for frustration. Yep. Or something else. Yep. Yep. All great points. You talk about navigating your culture, right? The only cultures you that you know growing up, the army family, how do you onboard into this new culture? How do you understand what are their sacred pillars or what do they mean versus what do they say? Yeah. The good news about being a civilian and recruiting is you get a chance to interview, right? All the companies that you want to work for. And, and I said that the way I said it specifically, because sure, they're interviewing you, but you're very much interviewing them at the exact same time. It's a, it's, it's a conversation. So I learned a ton about prospective companies that I wanted to work for through their interviewing process. Some interview processes at different firms were extremely intense. They give you a bunch of homework and an Excel test and, you know, it's it's a lot of stuff. And then the the, the interview panel, they're going to ask you some, some gotcha questions and see how you react. And it's telling, right? Because the culture of that organization is is, is very competitive. It's very fast paced. So if somebody's if you, if you got a lot of work in the interview process, there's a high probability <laughs> that when you get there, that that culture is going to remain. And the the exist the alternative exists as well. There's some companies that I've talked to where it was very, you know, kind of laissez-faire. HR is like, yeah, send me some times, whatever. And then we have conversations and interview, and it's very relaxed, very chill. It's like, yeah, my work-life balance is great. I leave in the middle of the day as long as I get my work done. People don't mess with me. Sounds awesome, but they didn't get paid a whole lot, <laughs> you know. So it it it, it it's you know. Everything has levers. So the culture, I I would say that what I do is observe first. I don't jump into a new culture and just say, hey, I want to change everything or I want to shake things up. I just observe. I take about a 90-day observation period, see how people interact with each other, how people are interacting with me, bosses interacting with associates and, and vice versa. You can get a bit of that from the interview process, but maybe not as detailed as you'd like. But I think 90 days will give you a good snapshot of that culture. And if there's some things that need to be changed, I'm 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 not afraid to be a little bit vocal about it. You know, I've got a pretty strong moral compass. And in the alternative, if the culture's great, why rock the boat? Five good lessons, right? New command, new platoon leader, kind of observe what's going on before you jump in and be like. Let's change everything, guys. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's all I don't think that's the best way to to start any role, by the way. To your first day, you're like, all right, I want to shake things up. Like I would avoid that. But just like you said, you know, we're we're leaning on a lot of the principles that we learned in the army. Let's understand what's going on first. And then we don't need, you know, if there is a change that's necessary, we don't need to build Rome overnight. See how we can implement these things stepwise. Let's see if it's palatable. Who else feels this way? You know, and just kind of take care of things piecewise. It seems like you, you've been leveraging a lot of those military soft skills in terms of like leadership, team management, conflict resolution. Can you talk about some of the strengths that you bring 
both into business school and into your role as like a corporate portfolio manager guy? And then what other veterans can really leverage that different shapes in their careers? Because even telling that team story, I was like, oh yeah, I definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. yeah. They were like, yeah, we don't want Elijah to write that email. I was like, well, well, I wouldn't write an email. I'm gonna just go. I will talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Like, Come here. But anyway, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> um, yeah, it is surprising how prepared we are. We, I'm kind of speaking for veterans writ large, but. It's surprising how prepared we are for presentation. <laughs> it is surprising how prepared we are to be put on the spot. And I was also shocked by how well-equipped we are to handle conflict resolution. At 22 years old, I showed up to my unit on Friday. I had almost 18 soldiers by Monday and was told, hey, this is your troops, execute, right? So from a pretty young age, relatively to my peers, I had to do like most, you know, army officers do. You just you just got to do it right. You have to figure out conflict. You've got to understand finances. You know, if your soldiers have an issue, you're their mom, you're their dad, you're their marriage counselor, you're their financial advisor. So from a very young age, I got to see a lot of these issues and work through these issues and, and not just work through them like it was a task, but work through them like this is a person who's having an issue. Let's find a, a, our best way to make this person whole again, you know, so we can go back and fight another day. That is so useful, not only in business school, but, you know, I, I would say in business school, you have a lot of folks who have type A personalities. It's place type, it, it attracts type A personalities. And oftentimes type A and type A butt heads. And you've got folks talking over each other. you got folks who are saying things for the sake of saying something on a call and all these other things. So, you know, I have been able to quell conflict. I've been able to talk to my classmates in a way that they understand that they don't always have to be talking on meetings. That they don't always have to, you know, talk over each other. That we can have civil discourse. We can talk about projects. We also don't have to be jerks to each other, right? There's a way to do all of these things. When there's a tough email that has to be sent out or something, I'm happy to volunteer and handle a lot of the conflict portions of this experience. A lot of my classmates, they haven't been trained. And it's, it's not that they haven't been trained, but they haven't had the experience. So that's a huge value add to veterans, especially veterans in leadership. Understanding a timeline. What does that mean? You know, what, how do you backwards plan? <laughs> right. There are so many soft skills that we use on a daily basis that has kind of helped set the veterans of Berkeley Haas apart from our civilian counterparts. All good lessons, especially like how do you actually implement those? Because a lot of times you're like, well, what value am I going to bring to veteran? You're like, you've done some hard things and let other people to do those hard things with you, which is also another challenge. And it's yeah. Kind of like wrapping up. Are there any like programs or books or podcasts that you recommend, both from a transgender perspective, but also for veterans that want to get better in their real estate journeys? Yeah. So I'm not a fan of promoting Instagram pages, but there's a really good one. Sit reps to steer codes. Dude drops a lot of go-to nuggets for folks who are transitioning. And I'd say it's, you know, 90, 90, 95% accurate the majority of the time. 
but I would highly recommend MLT for, for those who are seeking to get into the MBA program. Again, this is the hardest part is getting acceptance, making sure your essays, your interviews, your, your application writ large is just good. It's a good packet. MLT does a really good job of, of helping you set that stuff up. I check out the consortium. Um, the consortium is a great source of funding. You know, if you want to go to your school and don't want to leverage your GI Bill, like I did. <laughs> so the consortium uh, is a, a full scholarship, you know, to go to the, the schools that are in that uh, consortium program. But the, the best knowledge I got, honestly, was just doing informational interviews with current MBAs, calling fellow veterans. You know, for West Pointers, I'd start with West Pointers at the school that you want to go to, call them up, ask them all the questions you have. Do you like it? What's the culture like? How hard are the classes? What are you studying? How did you figure out that that's what you wanted to study? What career? Like all of these questions, somebody can answer for you who's been in your shoes. And you can leverage that experience, collect a bunch of interviews, and now you have a warm and fuzzy of the different MBA experiences that you can choose from in these top 10 programs. No, all good points. Make sure that you sort through the marketing and the noise. Absolutely. Because you can always chase the shiny thing. And, you know, some of my friends have chased the shiny thing and only found dissatisfaction because that's not really where their heart was, but that's where the majority of their classmates were pushing. So they felt like it was a good fit and it turned out to not be a good fit. And they're going back through this soul searching process to see, you know, what they want to do. So I would come to business school with a strong, you know, narrative. I think I want to do this and then go explore that. But at the same time, your best friend is going to be calling folks, doing informational interviews and leveraging some online aid to help put the packet together and to find somebody to pay for it. So avoiding following the herd, because even if you look at those rankings, each of these programs are very different animals, different cultures. They attract different people and they operate very, very different. Yes, they do. Some, some people cuss you in the throat while they smile on your face. Some people, <laughs> some people are too much cool. But you get all the above. It'd be like that. <laughs> yeah. You shared a lot of great nuggets, a lot of great knowledge with us, Elijah. Are there any, yes, programs and issues that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think we're working on a collaboration together currently. We are. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. So I'll, I'll, I'll plug Berkeley here. While I was in the Army as a diversity admissions officer, I started an initiative called the Elijah J. Talley Scholarship Fund. And in essence, this fund was just to support Black students who were on their way to college and provide funding for their materials, right? The, the book bags, the laptops, the calculators, all that stuff that they need to focus on being a student. Because I saw so many students at, at high schools when I was recruiting who were had jobs, who they were engaged. They weren't allowed to truly be students. So that's where this came from. In 2020, we became a 501c3 nonprofit, the connection, the connection with the cube. And our program is to support students. Imagine, just go back, go on a journey with me real quick, Mishan. Imagine, go back to your 18-year-old self, right? Now, imagine there was an organization that you applied for and you became a fellow. You got a stipend at the beginning of every semester that you were in good standing to help pay for your books, your laptops, your calculators, et cetera. 
So you've got some money in your pocket to focus on being a student. But at the same time, you had an idea of what you wanted to do with your career, but you weren't really sure. Imagine if you had a career coach who was assigned just to you, where you could have a conversation. Hey, what, 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 here are the skills that I have. Here are the subjects that I like. What should I do with my life? And then you pick that subject, whatever it may be, maybe a hypothesis. And then you get assigned a mentor who looks like you, who's in the career field that you want to be in. So you can ask that person at 18, what classes should I be taking? What books should I be reading? Do you like your job? Can I talk to your friends? You know, you, you're, you are building a network. You are getting smarter. And you're learning more about your career, potential career, future career. That's what we're about. Every single day, we work with our students and we empower our students to become the, the, the best versions of themselves that they can be. And it truly takes a community. We have, a, we have an amazing network of mentors and we have an extremely motivated group of mentees. We've had three cohorts so far and we're currently open for our fifth cohort. So any students who's listening, or, or fourth cohort, sorry, but any student who's listening, if you are a senior headed to some kind of vocational training, a coding boot camp, or a four-year institution, they can go to www.theconnection.org and apply. Our application is open until May 31st of 2023. Apply today. Become a Connection Fellow. You'll have a, uh, a community to support exponential growth. Love it, love it. So Elijah Talley, real estate investor, philanthropist helping the community, a little bit of everything. I mean, it's, it's great to see the journey. I'm glad I, I could witness part of it at least. So. Man, thank you so much for having me. It is truly a pleasure. Man, I just appreciate it. And I love what you're doing and looking forward to having the people see what we're working on together. Most definitely, most definitely.